All right, guys. So uh, we are Front Page Pass, brought to you by Word Journeys. I am your host, um, one of your hosts at least, uh, Alexa Black. And Robert Yelling is not with me, as you can see. He will be shortly. He happens to be out on the road in Denver um, with one of our guests, Charles Warner, who is actually CEO of Innovative Properties Worldwide. And it's a guest that we're really looking forward to having. Um, they do a, cover a multitude of things as well. They also have a lot of magazines, Innovation and Tech Today, Cannabis and Tech Today, STEM Today, and uh, quite a few others, honestly, that we're going to dive into and really just get, you know chat about. So really looking forward to this. So anyways, um, Bob Yelling is on the road. He's uh, out in Denver, actually, with our guest, uh, Chuck Warner. So hi, guys. Good to, good to have you here. Good morning, Alexa. Hello. <laughs> it's been a long time wow. coming. It's great seeing you guys. So Yeah. Well, anyways, this is a, this is a, a little bit different course that we're taking from our normal shows today. Right. Um, and and um, Charles Warner, he's the CEO and president of Innovative Properties Worldwide which began about 10 years ago as, as this year. And, and it started as a single one-off publication to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the time of 9-11. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then it developed into Innovation in Tech Today, which what is now Innovation in Tech Today magazine. But what's really interesting about this platform that Chuck has done the last 10 years is he's had to build, he's had to build and, and adapt and adjust and move this, this platform of his company around while the magazine industry as a whole is receding and going digital. Mm -hmm. So he'll talk more about that today. Um, but, and then the other thing is we're gonna have a nice, we're gonna have, so we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about branding in general, mm -hmm. but also writers often, they come to us, they come to other uh, book PR firms um, and even their publishers wonder how can we place in magazines today? What does it take to get your book placed in a magazine, mm -hmm. either as a review, or as a as an article on the author would have you well there that answer is complicated now because you're not just pitching a print magazine you're pitching online you could be pitching podcasts you could be pitching any tying into any sorts of promotions a magazine has so we're going to talk about that as well to give our to give our our writer mm -hmm. listeners and viewers um, a better understanding of what it means to try to get magazine yeah. coverage. Yeah, and kind of explore every facet of platform building, essentially, oh. throughout your career. Yeah. So on that kind of uh, long-winded introduction, welcome to the show, Chuck. Yes, Thank welcome. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. We're excited to have you, like I said. So, um, well, if we could kind of get into, uh, if you all don't mind, I'm kind of interested to hear about, you know, how you got into the business originally and just kind of the origins of, you know, Innovative Properties Worldwide, if we could hop in there. Yeah, so I believe it was about the year 2000, Y2K wow. or something like that. I started mm -hmm. working for a company in Florida uh, that did really high-end publications. So uh, um, uh, sports publications, event publications, things right. like that. Actually, that's where Bob and I crossed paths uh, is at that company there. And I learned, you know, kind of the, the ins and outs of the business, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to uh, how to sell advertising, you know, how to put together great high quality publications, how to tie in with events. And Bob was a big part of, you know, of all of that stuff. He was kind of right in the middle of it. So mm -hmm. I learned a lot from Bob. And um, so I left, started my own company, was doing sports things. And then uh, about 2008, you know, the economy really collapsed. And, you know, exactly. I, yeah, it was just, a, it was a tough time for everybody. And um, I took a step back and was like, I'm done with this. I'm done with magazines. You know, and like they say, every time I try to get out, 
it pulls me back in. <laughs> you know that feeling. I said I was done, but after a year of, you know, watching daytime TV and, you know, living off the money I buried in my backyard, it was time to get back out there. And exactly. Do and, uh, and so that's where we, we did a publication to honor the first responders for 9-11. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, that was, that was, I'm a veteran. So that was really something that it was, it was cool to be involved with. Um, and ironically enough, um, the title was the salute to the spirit mm-hmm. of American unity. Cause if you remember after nine 11, we were so united and ironically exactly. enough, you know, you fast forward to today, that message is more important than ever, you know, as, as Absolutely. we're a really divided country. So I think we were onto something there, yeah. Bob, the, the idea was this, that together we can do anything when we're divided, we kind of can't get out of our own way. And so I think we were a little ahead of our time with that theme, you know, with mm-hmm. that magazine and, and honoring the first responders. And then Absolutely. You know, we, we had some time on our hands and we decided to do a publication honoring Steve Jobs and his contributions to the tech world. Uh, if you think about it, you know, looking back, like we wouldn't have apps, you know, probably if it wasn't for Steve Jobs and apps mm-hmm. affect everything, you know, connected car technology, like all these things, him and Apple and those innovations sort of laid the groundwork for. So that was, that was our beginning of moving into tech. And we, we launched the magazine mm-hmm. at Macworld, had a really cool tie-in, you know, it was, was kind of low-hanging fruit, you know, Steve Jobs publication at Macworld. Um, mm-hmm. But we got to cover some cool mm-hmm. topics. And then once it was out and we were done and it was on the newsstands, we were like, what do we do now? And that's when we decided, you know, we, let's, let's cover this innovation and tech every mm-hmm. quarter. Uh, and so we started out, it was three digital and one print. And then we got to four print a year. And, you know, it just sort of developed into now innovation and tech today. Um, our flagship is, uh, you know, it's distributed around the world digitally, all over North America, newsstands and stuff. But the best part about it is, you know, when we talk to people about being on the cover or when we're, you know, trying to pitch someone to be interviewed for our magazine, most of the times they've heard of it, you know, so innovation and tech today, like we're not wired, we're not Forbes, we're not fast company, but we're kind of that next tier, that niche publication that has a following that, 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 that they've heard of us. And that's because we've been involved with so many events. Absolutely. Uh, and that's quite the accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, we, we got involved with events, so we have a unique distribution. Um, but you know, probably a third of our distribution is at events: Digital Book World, uh, LA yes. Auto Show, CES. So, yeah, I mean, it's just that was our that was our baby. Innovation and Tech Today sort of grew. We were building the rocket ship as we were flying it. We didn't really know exactly <laughs> yeah. what we were going to do, but we had a good idea. And then a couple years later. Um, we decided to take that leap and jump and, and we spun off with residential tech today and cannabis and tech today. And they have really been probably right. two of our most popular magazines and innovation and tech kind of got put on the back burner because we had these new fun, you know, niche projects. Mm-hmm. So exactly. we, we've got five magazines now, but that's really how it started. And, um, you know, it's, it's just ironic because Bob has been a part of it and my mm-hmm. experience in magazines kind of since the beginning. Yeah, that's a really interesting take on your journey and everything. What would you say about it, Bob? Yeah, well, well, it has been interesting because we did start, we we were working together, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago. And at that time, I had a lot of experience because I've been editing magazines for years. But what I think is really interesting about innovation in tech today Mm -hmm. is the way it's grown in the last 10 years. And you mentioned Digital Book World, which innovation in tech today is a media partner, Digital Book World, which is 
one of several media partnerships that exactly. uh, magazine has around, but digital book world and that, you know, that goes right into our wheelhouse and mm -hmm. Alex and I are going to be presenting at it in September mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, but, um, um, but, but the way that this company grew, it, it, it has grown in the 2010s, which is absolutely on the surface, the worst decade for a magazine to try to grow right. because print has gone down and this has been the decade, the last 10 years has been the time, you know, the advent of streaming yeah. and, and digital everything. Um, and, but, but you've not only managed to do, you know, we do the three magazines print and then plus sustainability and STEM today, which are both online magazines. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk about some of the <clears throat> at times very fast adapting and things you had to do in order to find that print digital balance at a time when everybody's saying print's dead, only go digital and, and how you were able to um, not only satisfy advertisers, but rebrand re re them as partners and offer them more than just a display ad. Yeah, so we kind of, we realized that as print was going away, that there were two types of people out there. There were those that still liked print and believed in print and had an emotional attachment to print. And there exactly. were those that wanted nothing to do with print. So as a, <laughs> uh, as a publisher, we had to figure out how to navigate those waters. And, you know, basically what we did was we continued making really great $10 print magazines. So <laughs> people could touch them, fill them, hold them. And they would, you know, nine times out of 10, they're like, wow, this is a great magazine. That tactile, you know, feeling that was something that we could do that we learned, you know, making those $20 uh, uh, event publications, you know, the, the programs to the, to the sporting events and stuff, they're really high quality, you know, perfect bounds, slick. So we had that covered on the print side. It's the digital that was a whole new frontier. And we had to figure out, okay, how do we continue to put out a great print product, but also complement it with what the advertisers want. And a lot of people, which is easy digital access, you know, advertisers want analytics, they want clicks, they want, you know, exactly. direct response, they want a lot of these things that print isn't necessarily built for. Mm -hmm. um, but the digital is so what our strategy was, let's build out the digital as, as, as robust as we can. And and let's continue to put out great print. And that way we can kind of serve both. And so today, our digital reach is much bigger than our reaches on the print side, just because of logistics, you know, um, we're on every digital uh, newsstand that you can think of out there, the Kindle, Magster, mm -hmm. Issue, Zinio, you know, all these little, these little, these little apps where you can read magazines, but we've also got subscribers, um, you know, we're on library apps. So we're trying to get everywhere we can digitally, um, you know, still have, have that solid presence and do the print. And I think that's kind of what most publishers have had to do to survive. You know, I I don't even know if there's anything that's just a print publication, you know, out there anymore. So, no, I don't believe so. Move, right? Yeah, everything had to, exactly. it's kind of like innovate or die. So we we realized that, you know, if we're a tech magazine, they're going to laugh us out of the building if we don't have some pretty cool online <laughs> stuff. That makes sense. If you haven't evolved with the times, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. So And we've gone through stuff. You know, I look back <laughs> at our first media kit and I, I chuckle. I look back <laughs> at some of our first ads, you know, right. I think our, our first website. And oh, my gosh, you know, they, they, we've just really we've we've grown quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I think it was, we had to embrace the change. We couldn't, we couldn't run from it. 
you know what I mean? Like we couldn't, oh, there's no weeds in the garden. There's no weeds in the garden. You know what I mean? In the we sand approach, right, exactly. We couldn't do that, especially being a tech publication <laughs> and covering a lot of those early stories, Bob, were actually covering um, you know, transition to digital and and the proliferation of digital streaming and streaming. And, oh, it's so funny. We've got, I look back, we had an article on what's up with social media, yeah. you know. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> but it's great to go back and see that stuff. Exactly. It's old. Um, 2014, we did a story on Bitcoin, right? And we were like, this thing might be pretty big and you should definitely might check be. it out. Yeah. And it was 490 bucks for a Bitcoin then. Wow. So it's cool to go back and see. And we don't always get them right. But um, no, we just, it's it's a passion for the subject matter. It's wanting to bring great content to the audience and deliver it to them how they want to get it. Some want a podcast. Some want to read a hard magazine. Some want to read an article. You know, some like short form, long form. So I really think as a publisher, it's kind of like the Burger King. You can have it your way. And we have mm -hmm. to deliver that content how people want to enjoy and you that. guys are basically covering all facets at this point i mean just to yeah. cap into that audience yeah exactly it's a necessity so um and one thing i want to add about innovation and tech today that's really i consider it ingenious is that you know it's a it's a really hip magazine the writing is fairly edgy mm -hmm. you know so you get a young crowd you get the older exactly older crowd but young young people love this magazine too and one of the reasons for that is um, they made a decision early on to instead of, you know, you know, having tech leaders on the cover, of, of course, but also having people in the in the pop culture in the entertainment world. Yes. People that are household names that just happen to have something really cool going on tech wise. And could you talk a little bit about that decision? Some of the people you've had on the cover, but because uh, some of them are very named name celebrities, but also what they surprised you with as far as their tech savviness goes. Yeah. And that goes both ways. Sometimes they surprise us on their tech savviness and we're like, wow, that's cool. And other times, you know, the conversation devolves into crystals and alternative healing and stuff. And we're like, where did this, where did this come from? How did we get here? Alternate dimensions. How did we get here? Yeah, cut this out. <laughs> no, um, you know, we've that's had great. We've had on the covers, you know, we started like Mike Rowe, we had Damon John. Excellent. Um, you know, we obviously, uh, we've had, Mark Cuban, um, yeah, we've had Mark times. Cuban, we've had almost all the sharks uh, have been on there because we try to find people on the cover that have that pop culture crossover. Exactly. But like Bob said, they, they have, they have something to do with science or tech, you know, or innovation. So, um, you know, we've had James Cameron, right. Who, mm -hmm. who took a submarine down to the bottom of the ocean exactly. right? and is really big into sustainability. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we had Scarlett Johansson, you know, she had that movie ghost in the shell. Um, you know, so we've had, We've had covers that are as as strong as anybody. I mean, our current one that's getting ready to come out now, we've got director James Gunn. Mm -hmm. uh, he's Guardians of the Galaxy. He's got the new Suicide exactly. Squad. Mm -hmm. Like he's one of the hottest directors in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And he really ties music in. So his scores are like, you know, Emmy, you know, uh, winning. He's got gold records from that. So we just try to find people that are relevant, that make sense, and that have some kind of crossover into, you know, technology or science. We've had Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Yes. yes. Well, friends. we went and saw Bill Nye, the science guy at the oh, did you? American okay. Library Conference in Denver a couple of years ago. Oh, that's yeah. Awesome. So, so it's fun. So, and, and when we approach other people to be on it, you know, we just had Dave Bautista on the cover, mm -hmm. uh, we had Ricky Gervais. They just all are kind of 
maybe a little bit edgy. They generally have some kind of uh, project that they're working on, you know, maybe a Netflix show, a movie, a book, you know, whatever. But we just give them an opportunity to be in print, uh, you know, covers. Everybody likes covers. And I think that, I think there's still a, a bit of a romanticism with print. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still think Absolutely. that those people, it means something to be on a cover. I think when their PR people come back and say, hey, we got a cover opportunity, it makes even the busy celebrities and stars, they kind of like stop and they go, okay, what is it? And then they say, it's innovation and tech today. You know, and, and I, I can't, I don't know what they say because I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Give me a fly on the wall, but they're probably like a tech magazine. Interesting. And I know a couple of them have actually said, Kevin Hart put out on his Instagram, mm-hmm. yo, fam, this is my first time on a tech magazine. You know what I mean? So it's uh-huh. something that's kind of cool and maybe a little different than what they normally do. Right. So so we bring that. And, and I think that you have to have that celebrity crossover appeal to sell magazines. I think that's how you get clicks. I think that's how you, so we're good at getting that side done. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just think it's sort of with the good content and that, packaged up it, it kind of makes it just it makes for a really nice thing you know in, in the in the whole grand scheme of things and and to follow on to that real quickly the other thing I, I that really has impressed me and of course I am speaking with a little bit of bias because I have been involved in this company since the beginning right. um, is justified so yeah you're right it's um <laughs> Is that that this this company takes strong stands on certain issues without being political exactly. for instance sustainability today stem today cannabis and tech today. These are these are strong stands and positions the company has taken towards these specific issues, mm-hmm. STEM sustainability and the cannabis industry, um, both and the medicinal side of it especially. And um, and could you talk a little bit about that decision? Because because it's, I mean, I just think it speaks a lot that, you know, there's these concerted stands with a lot of investment cap equity you know, sweat equity, regular equity, a lot of capital investment in these, but you, but it's done without taking these political stands, which normal, you know, I mean, 20 years ago, that would have been no big deal. Yeah. But now it's kind of the exception to the rule because it seems like every time you turn around to a media, they're siloing you into one point of view or the other. But can you talk about just the decisions to take those stands through publications? Yeah, you know, I think that, we had to figure out who we were and identify what our voice was going to be before we could consistently put out, you know, really good quality stuff. We had to know who we are and what audience are we trying to reach. And I remember, you know, I went on a, a media tour to the national uh, NREL, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. It's right here outside of Denver. And I went there and I was blown away at this facility that was built uh, it was actually, it was built in, in response to the 1970s, you know, the, the, uh, uh we ran out of gas and, and there was a big gas crisis. There was a fuel shortage. And so yeah, yeah the mid seventies. And so the government was like, we're going to invest in a place where we can explore new technologies, renewable energy and stuff like that. So we're not here. That was NREL. That's right outside of Denver. And when I saw that and saw the cool things they were doing in there and got to wear, you know, VR goggles and see them positioning wind turbines and saw how they were doing like hydrogen cells and everything, I was hooked. And I came back from that tour and I remember walking into the office and I was like, I figured out what our mission is. We, our mission is to talk about sustainability and how strategic and smart and innovative it is and good for the economy and all these other things. So we weren't taking a tree hugging approach. We were taking more a mm-hmm. look, this is, this is common sense. This is just exactly. smart innovation. It doesn't have to be political. 
So, you know, I feel like as, as a part of the media, I have an obligation to be the tip of the spear to put good, solid information out there for our audience so that they don't have to go in one of those silos you were talking about. You know, we just yeah, tell it like it is, and then they can make a decision for themselves. But, and I feel like you're more likely to appeal to people that way too, you know, without putting some sort of slant in there. You just present the facts and, you know, just show people the data and et cetera. So um, I really feel like Exactly. And sometimes, you know, th th that, that pisses people off. You know, sometimes they don't like that. And we get mm -hmm. letters and stuff like that. We've had people cancel subscriptions and stuff. I mean, we put a surfer on the cover once and uh, I had people send me letters, you know, she was in a bikini because ironically, that's what surfers wear. And uh, it was we'll our summer sports <laughs> issue. It was our summer sports issue. We had a surfer right. there and I had so many people that were like, I can't believe I subscribed to your magazine. I can't, you would put something Ooh. like this on the cover. So you can't please everyone all the time. True. I've, I've learned that, but at least if they're responding, they're paying attention, you know, so at least we're getting the word out there. And again, you know, I just think you tell it like it is and then let the people decide. But, you know, we don't we don't want to get, you know, political because we don't want to turn, um, you know, one audience or the other away. I think that there's a conversation to be had. Mm, absolutely. For both, you know, for both sides, for, you know, if you're talking about cannabis, look, it, it doesn't have to be a left or a right thing. It's a it's a it's a it's a medical thing. It's a, a, a job creator. It's a uh, personal rights. It's a you know, I mean, one of the Supreme Court justices just came out and said, Clarence Thomas, one of the most conservative Supreme Court justices just came out and said, he doesn't think that there's any basis for a federal ban on exactly. cannabis. And, it, and the whole thing is ironic, which really makes you scratch your head. So it does, and it completely transcends politics at this point, you know, it, it really yeah. does. I think there's what 28 or 30 states that, that have some type of legalization. So again, we're just trying to be on the, on the, the front edge of technology and that could be gaming and entertainment. That could be uh, NFTs, cybersecurity that can be uh, crypto. I mean, everybody's been talking a lot about crypto lately. And of course, you know, uh, cannabis, you know, hemp, things like that. So, I don't know. I just feel like this is our niche and this is our place to play. And, and as long as we, again, go back to that thing, put out really good content uh, and try to have great stories. I just felt like it would, it would work itself out. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't have to be political or left-leaning or anything like that. But when we supported the March for science, mm -hmm. to me, science shouldn't be political to me. Science yeah. is just kind of matter of fact. And so I didn't feel like we were putting the company out there by supporting the March for Science or the Woman's March, right? Exactly. Or, or anything else. Like, I think that these are just kind of common sense things. And it's okay to be involved because, you know, in this day and age, man, corporations are involved in, in, in donations and in supporting candidates and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I just think that science and tech is our political party and there's room for people on both sides and i feel like that approach will really help bridge the uh, the divide in this country so to speak so i mean just on Hopefully. certain issues, you guys you guys cover like you know for example like uh, alternatives for veterans suffering from ptsd you know using cannabis rather than uh, antidepressants for example i believe i've seen some material you guys have covered on that i mean that should be that's a non-political issue that's not 100 so yeah people want to support veterans you know and exactly. uh and, and as a veteran we're able to sort of leverage the fact that people want to work with us to where we have maybe just a little bit more of a voice. But when we're advocating for access to, you know, to cannabis or, you know, to uh, 
um, uh, you know, use that as a medicine. It's not just for veterans. There's little kids, you know, exactly. that their suffering has stopped. There's, there's, you know, people with cancer and, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of different uh, uh, conditions that when we're out here advocating for it, you know, as that tide rises, it lifts all boats. And, exactly. you know, we, we feel like, you know, once again, that we can use that voice and our platform for something good. That's very well said. And as I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, switching gears a little bit now, we, uh, Innovation and Tech Today is a, is a marketing a media partner of Digital Book World, which is being held live again, you know, after being shut down last year, it'll be held live in Nashville in September. And, uh, <laughs> Excited. Yeah, no, so am I, because um, that's, that's right in our world, right? Yes, it yeah. is. So, um, <laughs> But I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about writer the relationship between working writers and magazines. Okay. Now, when I came up a long time ago, it was easy street. It was you have an article idea, you pitch an editor, you, there's the print magazine right in front of you. Um, if you don't study it, it's at your own peril because it's sitting right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know they buy the they buy the story, they assign the story, they buy it, you get printed, etc., and you get tear sheets. So that was way back then when, um, but it's changed a lot since then. So what I would do as a book author back in the past is, or for other authors I worked with, is I would call the magazine and get a book review, maybe get an interview on the author if it's relevant to a subject that the magazine is covering um, and get them really good coverage that way, however many hundred thousand impressions that adds up to. Mm. Today, it's totally different. Um, when, when we're pitching magazines, it's it's not when you I the writer might think I'm just pitching to get a print article, but on the receiving end, and I've worked both ends of this, obviously, the editor's going, well, they might be a good podcast guest, mm -hmm. or let's do both an online and a print review, or we can't fit the print review in, but we can do an online review and we'll put in links to your landing page, your sales page. So not only do you get a review, you get a link to your sales page, or we're going to be partnering with these three events that all have book, sell, book sales at their centers. Maybe we can get your book in there on and on and on. So, so really, I think one of the most important things for any writer to learn when they're doing their own marketing and PR, which we all are, unless our names are yeah. Tom Clancy, rest in peace, is, um, is, is to understand fully how, what they're getting, what they're, what they're walking into when they try to pitch a magazine. Could you just, could you explain that a little bit from the, from your platform? Yeah. I, I just think that if you're trying to pitch a story or something to get some coverage, a book, for a book yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever. And I get lots of emails, you know, every day I get my inbox is bombarded with them and some I forward, some I delete, some I respond to personally. It just depends. So you've got to be able to get, the attention quickly because the person that you're sending that email to is, is getting more than just yours. So exactly. you have to, you have to be able to be succinct to the point. And most importantly, know who you're pitching, mm -hmm. right? So know the audience, do the work for the editor. Hey, listen, I know on your editorial calendar, you're do, doing something about renewable technology. Well, uh, can I let you know, my client has a book coming out and they're a leader in the space of renewable technology and we thought it might make sense for your upcoming issue 
I love getting those emails. They make me happy, warm and fuzzy in my heart, right? Like those are great. As opposed to just a random cookie cutter pitch where you haven't taken the time to understand me, my magazine or my audience, right? But if you do a good job and you can get your foot in the door now, we will just like Bob said, we'll decide, okay, maybe this would be a good podcast guest. Maybe we record the podcast, we transcribe it, and then we can use the, the content in print. Maybe we don't have room in print, but we can use that on the website, you know, and then promote it through social. So as a, as a publisher and a media brand, I've got a lot of space to fill. I got to fill podcasts, website, newsletters, social, uh, all different platforms of social with different kinds of, you know, content that we're putting out that's suitable for that platform. And, and most importantly, you know, there's our, there's our print magazine itself where the spaces is, is mm -hmm. gold. Nowadays, publishers are, are kind of like a butcher where you, you know, you carve out every single piece of the animal and use it as many times as you can so that nothing goes to waste. That is an and and that's how you have to be nowadays. So yeah, you know what I mean? Like we're not just, we're not just taking the hides and leaving the rest out there. No, no, that'd be silly, you know? Um, but, but if you're going to pitch, have have an understanding of what that audience is you're trying to get in front of a little bit, you know, and, and also it doesn't hurt to form a relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. You can follow, I've noticed Twitter is a very good platform where you can follow editors, you can follow writers, you can follow those people and they tend to share their work out on Twitter, you know, mm -hmm. their professional work and you can interact with them. Hey, really like that article. Hey, what's up? Follow them. Right. And now all of a sudden you can get to the front of the line when you have a story idea or something like that because you're interacting and supporting them on Twitter or on Actually, LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah. You know, build a relationship with them beforehand. And like Bob, you even spoke up at this uh, Digital Book World 2019, kind of building an ecosystem, really. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what it is. You're walking yeah. into an ecosystem. But along right. those lines, one of the one um, of the things I want to point out hmm. is the hardest working editor in the world loves an easy get. In other words, if um, if I'm a writer and I'm pitching a magazine editor and I do all the things Chuck was just saying, hit all those buttons, mm -hmm. well, I as the editor on the other end are going, okay, we're going to do a piece on renewable technology. Well, Andrew Winston just wrote a book on this mm -hmm. and 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 they've done the right thing to get the book in my hands. I was thinking about I was thinking about hiring a freelancer um, to to do this story but now i don't have to because i can work with the author and the book and myself to to put this piece together and um so my point to all the writers is if you've written a book on a specific subject nonfiction book and you mm -hmm. pitch a magazine you are going to be perceived as an expert by the editor exactly the editor will perceive you as an expert over uh a, a common freelance writer now if it's a freelancer that has 25 years of experience in that field mm -hmm. that might be a different story um, so it's really important. It's really important, like Chuck said, to do the work for the editor, because if you do, that editor is probably coming right back to you. Mm -hmm. um, and also another thing that just to kind of build on what he said is when we're pitching magazines, please go on to the magazine's websites and check out what else they have going on. Because if you can tell the editor, I see you're also doing podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Well, that shows the, the, the editor on the receiving end that you've studied the site. 
and they will start thinking about other opportunities. For and I'm you. sure the like as an editor, you can probably see that from a mile away if somebody's just you know found a random email oh, and just sent yeah, you something. I mean, yeah. you can spot it almost immediately versus someone who's done their homework and is actually like Bob said, you know, going through and sees what all you guys oh. have to offer and how they can contribute and vice versa. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like when you interview someone for a job, right? Yes. You post a job and then a whole bunch of people, what do they do? They send their resumes. <laughs> Some of them put a cover letter that's customized. Hmm. Maybe most of them don't, right? Some of them will actually research your company so that when you talk to them, they say, by the way, and I was looking and I saw you guys have about 25 people, you know, da, 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 da. it puts you on another level hmm. uh, when you have a custom you know, a uh, cover letter when you have done some homework on that company. So it just like when you're trying to get hired for your dream job, mm-hmm. you're trying to get published for your dream publication. Exactly. You want to do that little, those little things, attention to detail. You know what I mean? Sending somebody something in the mail, the actual snail mail, right? I've had people, you know, not even try to mess with my inbox, which gets like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds mm-hmm. of emails a day and things get caught in snail all the time. I've had, I got to go sign for something from FedEx. What is this? It's like an envelope. (laughs) And then I open it. What the hell is going on? And it's a handwritten, hey, I I just wanted to talk to you about maybe being here. They just got in front of the line by being innovative (laughs) and creative and sort of thinking outside the box (laughs) to get the attention of me as an editor. And they're probably going to get a callback. Whereas, you know, just a random email, you know, mass spam is probably not even going to get to your intended target. So, you know, if it's really important, customize it, do your homework, you know, send it to a couple of people in the organization, not just one and, and, you know, follow them, support them, actually be somebody who understands their, their, um, their, their product. And you've got a way better chance. I mean, I would say a decent chance if you do all of those things. And one other thing to all writers that I would add to that, that's going to put you in the favorite seat with any editor of any magazine, especially in these times of social media and platforming stuff. Tell the editor that, um, tell the editor that if you're, tell them about your social media platform and the fact that you'll be happy to promote magazine article, everything else when it you know when your piece comes out, because that does two things. Number one, it shows the editor that you're totally engaged. Mm-hmm. You're totally into what they're doing. And secondly, you're helping their exposure, their distribution. Yeah, helping and build it their just shows, it shows you're a team player, even though you might be a freelancer from 2,000 miles away. 100%. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, listen, that's another thing that you're doing for me. Mm-hmm. Instead of you mm-hmm. asking me to do something for you, right? What I'm listening to is what's in it for me and what's in it for my publication. And if you say, oh, by the way, this person has a million followers, it will be happy to share out the interview and stuff like that. My ears perk up. Of course. All of a sudden (laughs) I'm thinking two steps ahead and I'm like, man, I like working with these kind of people. They're very professional. They're thinking two steps ahead. You know, they're playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. And I think that that is really important, again, to separate yourself from all the other people that are maybe making that same bitch. And what's interesting, we're, we're having this conversation and I'm sitting here with one of my agenda items for Chuck. He doesn't even know about yet while I'm here with him. And that is to talk to him about, you know, kind of growing the book review sections for each of the magazines on the, in the, the whole property. Mm-hmm. So, or all the properties. So, um, I mean, this is just really important stuff for all writers. And I know we're talking about a lot of things that that book authors might not be accustomed to doing or what have you. But my my advice on that is take note of what 
Chuck has been saying or what I've been saying, mm -hmm. take note of this. And it's a, it's a simple checklist of five or six things to do per magazine. And then keep that checklist in front of you when you're pitching magazines. Because if you do the same five or six things we're talking about, it doesn't matter who the, what the magazine is, you're going to get a response. I, no, it's a great formula. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna sh I'm gonna show you something here too, okay? This is Elon. This is my Elon Musk <laughs> bobblehead. Elon. This is I love it. Elon Musk bobblehead. Where did I get this bobblehead, Bob? I have no idea. No, Nor I, should you. I Nor should I, you. I, I didn't. <laughs> well, I didn't get it when well, I. Well, we gotta have a backstory behind this. I mean, <laughs> let's see. So I got sent a book. Uh, I got sent a book. I'm trying to remember what it was. I believe that her name was Melissa Shulman mm -hmm. and she is a teacher, I think at NYU or oh, something yeah. like that. And the book I believe was called quirky, quirky. That's and right. it was about eight different geniuses throughout history and what they all have in common and how you can mm -hmm. think like an Elon Musk, uh, uh, Thomas Edison. Uh, yep. Yep. Steve, Steve Jobs, Jobs was in there. Mm -hmm. So, so check this out. They sent me the book, that physical book, and they say, mm -hmm. hey, we're interested in you, you know, maybe interviewing Melissa, the author, right? So I, it stood out. It tied in really good. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm digging this. Next thing you know, we do the interview. We, we put her in here and everything like that. And after it was done, not only did she share it out and we follow and stuff like that, she did some promoting of her article and her book and everything online. And she was like, anybody who likes or this retweets, you know, I've got some Elon Musk bobbleheads. So I, I don't know where she got these. I don't know what she did, but this story was three years ago. I have moved. This bobblehead is with me from Melissa, right? And it's <laughs> just an example of a really smart uh, author, professor, promoting their work by sending this out to people that had read it and a couple of editors. And here we are talking about her, you know, four, four years later. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's amazing. And, you know, I only have a handful of things on my, on my work area here. And one of them is this cool little bobblehead from her. So that's just a great example of, you know, sending somebody something above and beyond and, and really creating a fan, creating yeah. a fan. And that marketing approach can really stand the test of time also and just help build something that's going to have some longevity to it. So, um, and I feel like that was really crucial and particularly, or particularly last year, you know, through the pandemic and everything, you know, so many had to adapt and evolve, you know, with the time. So that kind of prefaces a question that I did have. So I was kind of curious on uh, your strategy, um, you know, for survival during the pandemic as a magazine and editor and et cetera, you know, and also writers that were coming to you also, you know, looking for work in this industry during that time. That's a good question. So when the pandemic hit, and we were definitely on it because this right. medical technology and science and things exactly. like that, our wheelhouse, um, you know, we felt an obligation to be there to be covering it. But we we also didn't really know what to do or how to do it. We had lost distribution. Yeah. Events were gone. Um, you know, stores were shuttered and boarded up. They, they weren't even you know taking our magazines. So the first thing we had to do when the pandemic came was we had to decide what are we going to do internally? Mm -hmm. And we just said that we would double down on, on digital content that people could consume during that time. We also made a decision internally that we were not going to lay anybody off at our company. Mm -hmm. um, and so all the people at the top took a pay cut so that we could keep everybody, even the hourly you know, people Mm -hmm. during the entire pandemic. Now we felt that that was just something to batten down the hatches internally. And it was the right thing to do as a company. But mm -hmm. then the first 
communication we made with all of our advertisers and all of our event partners was just, hey, how are you doing? What can we do to help you? So we launched a program for all of our magazines. It was called InnoTech Today, InnoTech Tomorrow. We want to make sure we can help you be mm-hmm. here tomorrow. And so we're offering some free advertising, free directory listings. We wow. did consulting. We literally went into this saying, how can we make sure we take care of our people internally? And how can we make sure that we're just bringing value and adding value during mm-hmm. a scary time without asking for a penny in return? Mm-hmm. That's what we did. And then we just kind of like batten down the hatches and wrote out the storm. But exactly. you know, not a lot of people took us up on it, but I felt like it was just us making a statement saying, hey, we're here for you and we want to use the resources we have to help you during these difficult times. And hopefully, you know, not only was it the right thing for us to do, but it maybe some people would remember, you know, after we come out on the other side. So that's what we did. And we just continued to put out more digital content, more podcasts, you know, more things we were covering areas. Um, I don't know if you guys know it or not, but we found out that all these cannabis labs around the country that are, uh, you know, testing facilities, they could actually be converted to test for COVID. And that was a really important Mm -hmm. deal in in the very beginning. A lot Mm -hmm. of these cannabis businesses, not only switched and started making hand sanitizer and things like that, but they could actually do the PCR testing in these cannabis labs. And there's, you know, thousands of them around here. So all of a sudden we, you know, we were interviewing someone who was a scientist from that and bringing it to the people, just doing the best we could to bring a lot of digital Mm -hmm. stuff because during the pandemic um, subscriptions went up during the pandemic uh, podcast downloads went up. Mm-hmm. Web traffic spiked, people were home and they were consuming content. So yeah. it was really a turning point time. And I think that maybe the fact that we had these tech publications, cannabis and tech, innovation and tech, residential tech, don't you think that, that became important when all of a sudden you're living and working and Absolutely. going to out of your house? It was everything that was kind of in your all's wheelhouse, essentially. I mean, just to begin with. Well, so. And also to that, to add to that, which is really yeah. important is the company was already set up to work remotely before the mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, this company is spread out be, you know, between California, Kentucky, uh, Florida, Colorado, Indiana. Sea to shining sea. Sea to so- shining sea, literally. Absolutely. <laughs> decision makers, decision makers are in every place I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this was all set up before the pandemic. So while a lot of other organizations were trying to figure out how do I, how do we switch to remote? How do we get people hooked up? Do we, you know, do we use um, WebEx or Zoom or whatever, it was already the case here, which I think that, I mean, I, I just think in a way that just gave you a, gave you a foot up in that moment, in that crucial moment. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were lucky as hell. And some say, you know, you create your own luck, but. Well, I think the remote setting up remotely was a creation of luck yeah. without knowing what you were. What yeah, absolutely. Gonna- yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause we had big centralized offices. We had one in Florida, we had one in Colorado and we were probably spending, you know, about $15,000 a month in rent and mm-hmm. between the two offices. And, you know, I started noticing that less and less people were coming into the office, more of the people in the office just had their headphones on and they were just like all day long. There was very little interaction going on. So when our lease was up about nine months before COVID, we, we let it go. 
and we and we we moved out and we went virtual which at the time felt kind of dirty it felt like sort of like i was embarrassed like you know like we don't have a big office anymore like think about it publishers are known for their you know fancy like corporate office right yeah you know and post dollars <laughs> yeah right and, and and we had to sort of swallow our pride and say this isn't really working for us right now but if you fast forward then when this all happened when the pandemic kicked off imagine if we were paying that rent every month and we mm. couldn't even go to the no, office. I mean, that yeah. might've put us out of business. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Just the cost itself. And, and, and of itself. Like said, we learned how to work. We already had, we already had, you know, all those things working for us. So um, it was an easy transition for us because we had already gone virtual. Mm -hmm. And that makes complete sense too. I mean, I'm also curious about, you know, it seemed like even in the literary world, it didn't necessarily suffer because like you said, so many people were at home consuming this material, but in an area that we did was not being able to go out and like act, physically promote at certain events and stuff like that. So did you guys do uh, multiple, you know, virtual events or anything like that to kind of stay afloat yeah. time and keep up exposure and everything? We did. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, um, I'm going to be doing a, a, at the super niche conference here in Denver in mm -hmm. October, I'm going to be doing one of the keynotes um, at this event, which is where all the publishers come and, you know, they exchange strategies and ideas and stuff like that on ad sales, on distribution, everything. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate enough to be asked to give a keynote, which is basically during the pandemic, not only did we participate in a lot of virtual events, um, moderating, speaking, you know, mm -hmm. supporting and stuff like that, because let's be honest, when the pandemic kicked off, the events didn't know what the hell to do, right? It was mm -hmm. a very chaotic using time and those are our friends so we felt their 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 pain their confusion we just tried to support as best as we could but eventually we realized a lot of these virtual events sucked they were like glorified zooms they were terrible they were not engaging at all so we actually went and found a platform out of belgium called hyperfair that uses 3d virtual reality avatars it's like being in a video game like sims oh, wow and we launched our own virtual event uh, in the cannabis industry where events are, are the lifeblood, right? They can't advertise, they can't do the normal channels, you know, so events are everything. And we launched Emerge mm -hmm. and we had four virtual conferences and we had a host of, I mean, literally we got four pages in high times uh, covering this in their technology issue because we were the most advanced virtual reality event on the planet. And, and, you know, throughout that time, we had 40,000 business cards exchanged amongst wow. our attendees, which is like helping them get business done mm -hmm. during a pandemic. So well, to answer your question, we supported events and then we went out and created our very own and became now a publisher slash event company. And that's a, that's like a, really a virtual big, reality type of event. That's really, yeah. that's a really big point because we're seeing this right. in writing with you hmm. just leading up to is one of the things that's going to be different from now on after post COVID is that mm -hmm. events are now going to be both live and virtual. 100%. So for writers that have been writing, kind of riding the storm for the last year, just going, I hope this virtual stuff is over. It's never going to be over. In mm -hmm. fact, a well done virtual book something gets you far more people than a live event. Not only that, the live event is the people that you draw locally to that bookstore or uh, retail center, a virtual event you're drawing from all over the world. Plus, you can put sales links and other landing page type stuff on your on your virtual book signing if mm -hmm. it's done well. So, and and of course, in, in the corporate world, it's the same thing. It's going to be both from now on, isn't it? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And and one other thing to remember is during the pandemic, 
you know, I, I feel guilty because I see people like, oh, I wrote a book during the pandemic or I, I lost 30 pounds during the pandemic. And I'm like, you know, people like I learned another language and I'm like, I just survived. I just, <laughs> I just got through this damn thing. Right. And, and yes. but, but I'll tell you during the pandemic, one good thing for writers, for content creators and stuff, you could get anybody. That's right. Everybody was available. Everybody was home so normally when you're trying to reach out to people and get interviews or, or talk about collaborations oh they're on the road oh they're traveling oh they're busy oh they're on vacation no they're no. Not. <laughs> not during the pandemic everybody was at home and entertainers and stuff like that they had more time on their hands and they knew what to do with so if you wanted to interview rock stars if you wanted to interview you know uh, uh celebrity business people you could get anyone that's right during the pandemic yeah. so even though it was a horrible terrible i mean just a crazy chaotic time it created a seismic shift in how we do business how we consume content and most importantly it opened a lot of doors and new innovations that are now you know going to be everyday thing i hear going to be integrated into society nowadays as well yes exactly hear people say i have zoom fatigue i have zoom fatigue do you realize that zoom made it so that your kids could learn during a pandemic, I mean, we had a Zoom ballet recital for my daughter, okay? Zoom made it so that we could still interview people and do that. I mean, listen, people talking smack about Zoom, I got news for you. That helped us all survive That's through right. through the, I mean, I, I took part in Zoom happy hours just so we stayed sane, you know what I mean? <laughs> Getting on there and, and hanging out and having a beer with, with someone virtually. So I think a lot of new technologies and, and industries shifted uh, during the time. And I think we have a greater appreciation for some things. And I think that we don't have a need for some others. Very true. And and multiple industries did as well. Like even the music industry, I know this is kind of a, you know, branching a bit away from, from tech and whatnot, but like even the music industry did as well. I saw so many bands and like you were talking about availability, so many um, famous bands, you know, they were itching to get out and play a show. So they would do a, a virtual event, you know, virtual concert. Comedians, so, right? Comedians that couldn't go on comedians. tour all of a sudden Absolutely. had to figure out Mm -hmm. how to do it online so mm -hmm. it was just a, it was a crazy time but it was very innovative time and i mm -hmm. think a lot of industries grew up yeah we did we adapted and found the silver lining in it so mm -hmm. well it's hard to believe we're almost we're almost out of time here are we I, really yeah <laughs> happens every time. we have a part two it doesn't even seem like we've been here that long so yeah. really enjoyed well, it Anyways, I thought I thought for our final Elon agrees. Elon agrees. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Elon. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you. You've had twenty years in the magazine industry, and and you know, and you've dabbled in other industries as well. What is the either the funnest, the craziest, or the most memorable experience you've had interviewing someone, and who was it with? Oh man, that's really tough. When you say memorable, I think a bad things like oh. you know like stuff that <laughs> I mean I you can share them before. feel free oh, God. <laughs> I, I remember I remember I was uh, interviewing Robert Hershevik from Shark Tank and uh you know mm -hmm. I was actually on the road and his interview kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed and finally mm -hmm. you know I was able to get him and I jumped in there and I was all excited and fired up and the first thing I was like hey so you've you know I understand you've got a book uh that's coming out you know would you like to tell our audience about it and he's like oh you mean my book that's been out for a year and i was like no oh no 
So we just started off horribly, right? I mean, just terrible. It happens. I had to, yeah, you do. You have to think on your feet. Uh, and it ended up being a great, a great interview. And he's a super, super smart guy. And very, you know, so we were able to get past that. But sometimes, you know, you get off on the wrong foot. Um, I've had I've had interviews where, you know, I ask a question I think is pretty normal. And they're like, I'm not going to answer that. And then you have to kind of not take that person. Uh, well. <laughs> yeah, you just have to keep going. Um, yeah. But at the same token, you know, I've had I've had interviews like Dave Bautista, you know, is one of the coolest guys ever, you know, action star, former wrestler. Yes. Galaxy. You know, we, we interviewed him and he was just so darn genuine and present that even after it was mm-hmm. over, he was showing us all the different tattoos on his hands and, you know, explaining what each one was and stuff. And he actually had a, he had an Aquaman tattoo, which he said was really awkward because he's filming a movie with Jason Momoa. And he was like, I got this. Oh, the two have to compete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, and, and, and you know, right. Gary V was another one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, like right off the bat, I, I think I mispronounced his name and you can go back and watch interview and he kind of, kind of chuckles a little bit and just kept going, but he was super engaged and present. And I think when you can interview these people, these big celebrities, mm-hmm. and you know that they're there and they're present, it just makes such a great experience as opposed to you're interviewing them. They're like, yep, yep, whatever. Yep. Yep. Short answers. Cause I've heard those kind of interviews happen too. Oh, a lot. I've heard sometimes, you know, they're just jerks to you. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the best ones are, you know, those stars or celebrities that really seem to be present because mm-hmm. you feel almost a connection. And I think that that gives a better, uh, a better, a better story and a better interview for the audience. And, and it kind of makes it more authentic almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. When they can yeah, just I would, also, I would also add to that since I've been involved with a lot of these interviews yes. is I think the fact, as you mentioned earlier, that you're, we're, you're interviewing them a little bit off, um, off track for what they're normally talking about. Yeah. You know, like I remember this distinctly. In fact, uh, when I, when I was working in house as the editor in house with this company, I was, uh, I was interviewing, talking to Richard Dreyfus mm-hmm. and Richard and I, you know, and I've been told don't, he, he hates being asked about what's his favorite, what favorite movie did he do? And, you know, and I would, I would hate that too, if I'd been asked the same question 8,000 times. Right. Um, so what I did is I had a long, it, he's also one of the most knowledgeable people in America on education. Yeah. So we had this long discussion about education and he was totally into it. We, you know, for STEM today, we did this thing. And then, um, and then at the end I said, you know, People have told me that you hate this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What I go, you know, my one one of your favorite movies of mine is Mr. Holland's Opus. And what you know, what about you? And he goes, you know, he goes, he goes, I'm going to answer that question for you because you you took me on some track I was totally not ready for, and I loved it. So my point is with with writers when they're talking in magazines, doing interviews. Look, when you're doing interviews, whether you're re- interviewing for books you're writing or for magazine articles, whatever, look for something they're not there that's a little bit different than what they're used to answering because that opens doors. And 100%. We, Asking. So the interviews here have always been really good because of that. We open, mm-hmm. we, we go off the beaten path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And asking dynamic questions, like you said, and just diving into territories that no one else really thinks to even go into, you know, and that's what we try to do on our podcast as well. So we've gotten that comment quite a few times, honestly. So, but yep. yeah, um, anyways, um, I think we should end with um, you telling us if you have any upcoming events, innovation, innovative properties, anything going yeah, on? Yeah, uh, so- we need to promote anything to promote? Throw yes. that out there. <laughs> Shame- shameless promotion time. Go to your Barnes and Noble and ask if they've got innovation in tech or cannabis. Okay. 
Okay. Make sure you, you get a copy or just follow us online. You know, the conversation mm -hmm. is there. We have a lot of great content going out on social media. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, Canatech today, mm -hmm. InnoTech today, or ResTech today. And just keep looking for, we're going to keep putting out great content. We're going to keep, mm -hmm. you might see us at your, your next event. Uh, you might see us digital book world, CES, whatever. So just check us out. We love to collaborate. We love great story ideas and feel free to reach out and follow the conversation. All right. Well, sounds good. Thank you for having us or thank you. We're, we're glad to have you here. So uh, glad to talk to you. So Thanks for having me. All right. Well, yeah. No okay. problem. So. Thanks, Alexa. And uh, yes, you guys enjoy yourself. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So anyways, that was an awesome interview that we just had with uh, with Charles Warner. It was very intriguing. It was also really interesting just to, to learn about all the facets and how, you know, uh, the magazine industry has evolved over time and survived the pandemic as we all did with the literary, um, in the literary world as well. So it was just really interesting to, to chat about that and um, just kind of find out, you know, every angle of it and really gave us some resources on what writers can do, you know, whether you are in journalism and a lot of that can be applied to, you know, the literary world as well so it's very interesting so anyways um if you guys enjoyed it be sure to follow us on all social media outlets uh where journeys literary um we're on instagram twitter you name it we're on it so um and you all you guys can also see us on pretty much every available platform that allows streaming podcasts so uh thank you guys for joining us uh at front page pass and we'll see you next time